Podcast, where we mix our love of the NBA and statistical analysis. We're going to be looking at teams and players through a different lens. And as the season continues, we're going to be building a statistical model to show which teams and players are going to excel during the season. With that, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Eric. Hey, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. We took a small hiatus, but we're back. And we're really, really excited to talk to everyone about everything that's going on in the league today. We got three segments today. We're going to touch upon just things that are happening around the league. It's been super exciting. We're kind of in the the quarter season at this time. So we want to talk a little bit about everything that's been going on. uh, And also some of our predictions that have both, you know, kind of been affirmed and flopped at the same time. Yeah. We're going to talk about a quote. This is, this is a little bit a couple weeks ago, but a quote that Russell Westbrook talked about uh, Patrick Beverly not actually being a good defender because uh, personally I love defense and I thought that was a really interesting quote from the perspective of Russell Westbrook. So we'll be breaking down advanced stats about defensive metrics and also just the mentality of a defender, how we can measure defenders from the eye test. And then the third thing, This is my favorite part. We're going to recap our MVP picks. We did this a couple weeks ago where we all all our MVP picks are just kind of out the window at this point. (laughs) So we're going to revisit them. We're going to check out how they're, how, how the the players are doing and who our top picks are. Uh, Josh, you want to start off with some things that are going around the league? It's been, it's been super exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, since the last time we talked, I feel like we need to talk to talk about Hallelujah. Like, that is the number one thing. You know, the funny thing is, so again, uh, Eric and I are from the Dallas area, and we didn't want to be the homers that talked about Luca all the time. But he is like, taken over the league to where we have to talk about it, and we're so stoked about it. Yeah, man. I, we could do, like, five podcasts about Luca and have so much content to fill mm-hmm. that I, I would be stoked to talk about Luca every single week. But we're trying to tone it down a little bit. Um, I'm most excited because Luca is just such a complete player that has such a different game. And he reminds me exactly of how Dirk Nowitzki came in and changed the league forever. People wanted mm-hmm. to replicate his game. And I'm on the basketball court these days trying to replicate Luca's game because it's so slow. It's so in control and it's just really high IQ basketball. That's what's been the most amazing for me about Luka Doncic. Oh my gosh. Like that's the one thing about him is like, when I saw him uh, play last year, he was slow, methodical. I really did not think he could keep up with athletes in the league, but it's just he's so much smarter. Like, legitimately, he's one of those guys that you think that he is five seconds, even three seconds, you know, may- maybe it's even three seconds ahead of everybody else in the sense of when he sees a play, like, it, it hasn't even happened yet. but he knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to the to the correct sides of the floor. Uh, he's making uh, defenses move his way. Like it's just incredible to watch. Like uh, when you see him play, uh, like I, you and I talk about this outside of this podcast. Just like you're like, how how the heck does he do that? Like he's slow. He's not yeah. the fastest guy in the for, uh, court. But he like made the like a couple weeks ago when they were playing against the Lakers. He made KCP look like he was standing still because he just made him sway to the left, and then all of a sudden he rips left or rips to Luca's left, and like it's just incredible to watch like how he's controlling everything on the floor, and like I know this is the meme and and you know 
out there. He's only 20 years old and he's doing all of this. Dude, at 20 years old, we're in college, like studying for finals and freaking out about tests. And this guy is zipping passes to like four different players. Like he's just ahead of the game. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's, you know, when people say he doesn't have athleticism, it's true. Like when you watch him, he doesn't have athleticism. But man, the athleticism he has is just so different. It's like the yeah. Dirk, like Dirk had a different set of athleticism. Mm-hmm. And Luca, like I don't know if it's athleticism or this dude is from the future and he just sees the game three seconds ahead of everyone else. But he like when you're talking about that KCP play, he'll move left because he already knows KCP is going right. Or he'll bait him into going the KCP into going right, and then he'll go left, and then he'll draw all the defenders into the center, and then zip a pass that's like, like that I I didn't even I didn't even know was physically possible, and I'm watching yeah. it from a bird's eye view, so it's crazy to me. Oh my god, yeah, he he, um, just even in that Lakers game, like he, you had LeBron and AD, Luca was the best player on the floor. That's like, crazy. <laughs> that was insane to me watching where you could tell that he was like controlling every moment of the game just because like people were scared the moment that he got the ball in his hands that things were going to happen. And like the Lakers couldn't do anything. Like when I say that KCP was his legs were in cement, he wasn't the only one. Like people were watching Luca just stroll to the basket because they were so scared of what he was going to do. It's not even that he was blowing by people. It's just that they're like, if I collapse on him, other people are going to be open and it's going to be a three. So the fact that he has that much poise that he can essentially just make people just stop in their tracks is incredible. And he just has so much to grow from. Like every time I look at him, I'm like, this is him in like his base form. Like if, if we just go with the anime cliche, he can go super saiyan <laughs> like he really can't he's got another level to him for sure because yeah. here's the thing about luca that's so crazy is that i think he's obviously you know everything that we know about him he's been a professional since he was like 14 15 so like none of the bright lights hurt him or like he doesn't he doesn't like crumple under it. this guy was an mvp um for not only the Euro League, he was an MVP for the Spanish League, and I think he was the Euro League Final Four MVP. Like this guy already had more accolades than some kids that or some some players that were in the league for like five, ten years. And the the thing that I think is gonna be incredible, and, and the reason why I say that is like obviously this is why he's so good already but like he's still learning teammates. He's still playing with an injured, you know, Porzingis. He's still like, probably they're going to get a third star if, if not mid season next year, he could go to an entirely new level of like bringing out the best in players and just being that force on the floor that like you, you can't stop watching. Like I, I know everyone's like, Oh, he's LeBron without that athleticism. I think he's like, oscar robertson you know with the triple doubles and like just controlling the floor and putting up ridiculous numbers like i think he's still averaging a 30 point almost a triple double like 39 one or two on the assist category i think yeah i think he was like uh like 10.8 on rebounds and like 9.6 or 9.7 
on yeah. assist, which is just insane. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about that Super Saiyan mode, I think, okay, first off, I think the person that brings it out of him are the Clippers. He played yeah. really terribly against the Clippers. He felt bad about it. They got long, lean defenders that are really elite-level defenders. They got two of them, right? They mm-hmm. got two wing defenders that are elite. Two of the best. Can, yeah, two of the best, and they can peg them straight on Luka. And we saw Luka really just struggle against them. So mm-hmm. the two things I think are better just decision-making. I think when he gets yeah. frustrated, I mean, he's young, right? He's 20. When I was 20, when I got frustrated, I just got pissed, right? Like, that's what <laughs> you do when you're 20. And so he's going to have better decision-making, I think, in mm-hmm. the near future. And the other thing that I think he's going to do a lot better is just, uh, like, getting the ball to – learning his teammates. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he is already making people who are legitimately – I feel like they're not supposed to be as good as they are, right? Like, yeah. I love Maxi Kleber. I love Dorian Finney-Smith. But Luka Doncic elevates these guys because he puts them in the right place at the right time to score. And he does everything right. So once he starts yeah. learning everybody better, he starts bringing in – they start building around him even more than they are today. He's going to hit that Super Saiyan mode, and it's going to be scary for the league. I mean, just look at Tim Hardaway. Like – Everybody was throwing this guy in trades. Like the the Knicks traded him away to the Hawks and then signed him back and then traded him to the Mavericks. Like people wanted, especially the Knicks, wanted to get rid of this guy. I think he's averaging like 18 points a game. You know, yeah. like yep. that, and that's a lot to do with with uh, Luca because Luca's finding him in the right places. Also, with all so much heat on Luca, it just opens people up, and I think that's where you're going to see these role players really come out and, and uh, fully come into form by mid season, end of season. Like I, I think those players are going to take that leap. And as you said, like, dude, Maxi Kleber, like two years ago, he was like a nice guy to have as like eighth or ninth guy. Now I'm super excited to see him come off the bench and he's like running the floor harder. He's like dunking the ball over people, grabbing rebounds. Cause he knows he'll get it back. Like, you just see an, an like an, an insertion of an, uh, of like energy and uh, invigoration. Like like even the game against. Uh, so I, when we're recording this, yesterday uh, Luca actually sprained his ankle. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I know. We were both super sad, <laughs> but uh, you just see the difference in how the team plays. Like they played admirably, but like they did not look like that well-oiled machine like when Luca's on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man, you want to talk a, about some quarter-season surprises? I think, I think I've had a lot of surprises. Um, yeah. I think I want to start off with actually the Lakers, mm-hmm. who I, I guess it shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> I, I had them going to the finals, right? Like even, even I, when in the beginning of the season, I was like, man, they got Anthony Davis. They got LeBron James and a bunch of role players. Of course, they're going to make it to the finals. Um, but I think it's surprising to me how well they've meshed early in the season. That's a big surprise to me. Yeah. You, it's crazy how they've gotten the bigs to work in a functional way for a, a, in a league that has already gone away from big men. Uh, they really revived JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, not in the sense that they're putting up like double doubles or 2010s or throwing them in the post but they're making them do what they need to do which has caused a lot of trouble for these smaller lineups and then in general they're just winning 
And I know that's super weird to say of a LeBron James team, but uh, when you put so many different pieces together and to get them to work and win together, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty surprising to me. Yeah. I, I was not a believer of the team, at least in the early part, just because I was like, I think they're going to have a hard time inserting Anthony Davis. I thought that the team was going to struggle of identity. Um, but I, I have egg on my face because literally I, I could say a lot of things about LeBron where I think like he's a good – or sorry, sorry, not a good player. And a fantastic, great player, but I've always kind of had – uh, I, I never really believed in him as much as anybody, everybody else. But he did the most superstar move of all of making it Anthony Davis's team and just quietly putting up incredible numbers. Like, we are going to talk about this later, but the fact is LeBron is just an incredible machine of putting up 26, 7, and 10 assists. Like, that's, that's just his stat line, and no one really knows it. And that just tells you that he was willing to take a backseat so that AD could be the superstar. And it's because of him that you're seeing them gel so quickly. I, I really didn't see it. And hey, props to them because not only are they winning, they're winning like, they're, they're like blowing teams out. They look like they're having fun. They're well oiled. Like you're seeing guys that like, you know, before Avery Bradley got hurt, he was looking like a defensive monster again, like what we saw in Boston. Uh, he was shooting threes well. You had guy, you have guys like Danny Green that are shooting really well. Um, obviously, like this, this team is just really ready to like go, uh, go off. Yeah, and I, I think like honestly, that's LeBron James's strength. He's such a. Uh, I struggle to, to kind of put this together because I know we're going to get a lot of backlash about saying LeBron James is a great teammate. I mean, I think he is a great teammate in the sense that he can get role players to play together really, really well. And he understands the strengths and weaknesses of all the players and helps them excel. Um, I know there's like a lot of controversy about the ways that he does things and, yeah. and the way he responds to the game. Um, and, just some of, you know, I mean, he's got that winning mentality, so he's going to brush people the wrong way. And I know he takes that limelight away from other superstars, but I, I think that LeBron James just understands the game so well and also people's roles so well that you take this mishmash of role players that at the beginning of the season were like, how are Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, KCP, Avery Bradley? Like, they're all individually good players, but we, we've seen – We've seen the Knicks that throw the, a bunch of role players together yeah. and have dysfunction. And you throw in LeBron James and suddenly he makes it work. He's like, mm -hmm. he's like a cook, right? Like it's, it's, it's crazy what he's been able to do. And so, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about LeBron James in a bit, but I, I've been thoroughly surprised. Yeah, man. Like I, I think, you know, again, that team, they, they shouldn't work. Like I, I'll put it that way. Let me, let me say it like this. They shouldn't work because I don't think they have enough shooters. Like that was one thing that I, I knocked them for not getting going out there and getting JJ Redick. Um, I, I think they are undersized uh, except for um, AD Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. Other than that, I felt like they weren't very big, but like 
they're doing everything right and then playing the right way. Like the the fact is, um, AD plays big. He he shoves it down your throat. He's just like the guy that you just give him the ball and he's going to create havoc on the inside. Uh, and then you have LeBron carving people up at the top of the key, just like making everything collapse on him. And then like the shooters, now they have two seconds of daylight and that's more than enough for Danny Green. That's more than enough for Avery Bradley when he was on the floor. Uh, I, I think the only surprise that I have from the Lakers is that I really thought Kyle Kuzma would be better because now he would be the focal point of the young guys or that yeah. now that all the other young guys are out. I thought he was going to be like flamethrower Kyle Kuzma, you know, just yeah. like giving the ball, he's going to make shots. He's going to be your six man, like putting up like 16 points or 17 points, but like he struggled. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, speaking of young guys, I, I really want to catch this because one of my other quarter season surprises have been how the Heat have been playing. And oh, I think it's gosh. directly related to the young guys. And we, we did kind of a breakdown, and you called it, man. Tyler Hero, that guy's on fire. I, I don't remember what we said about Kendrick Nunn, but I feel like that guy came out of nowhere and started playing really well. And Jimmy Butler is going to be Jimmy Butler, but I don't think Jimmy Butler can get there without help. And now he's gotten help way mm-hmm. sooner than I thought that he was going to get help. So, oh. yeah, I think the Miami Heat are super interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I hate them with a passion. I hate Pat Riley. I hate everything about the Miami Heat. <laughs> but, man, th- this is a surprising team to me. Yeah, I- I'm with you, man. This, uh, one thing that I will say about Miami um, is that they are a well-architected team. Like they know who they are. They know exactly the roles that they play. And I think that is so important because you can have a lot of alphas on a team. Like Jimmy Butler is an alpha. Oh yeah. You know, he, he made, you know, I don't know if this is true, but he made cat cry, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and that's because he is so, so obsessed with winning that if you're not on that train with him, he will make sure that you feel the pain every day. And one thing I've been hearing about Miami, uh, or at least the young guys, is they have this thirst for winning that's just like Jimmy Butler. Like apparently, heroes like clap, uh, clapping at him in in, uh, um, in practice. Like you know, like when he shoots threes over Jimmy, he lets him know. Kendrick Nunn is like just that guy that wants to be that uh, that wrecking ball, uh, dude. He's like six three, I think, and he's playing like he's six seven. Um, yeah, I don't think either of us talked about him, but he is, he is literally just this, I, he reminds me of a more consistent Flip Murray. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember that guy from the early 2000s. Flip Murray. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I haven't heard in a while. Okay. Yeah. That, just, just if anybody wants to look up his clips from the 2002, 2003 season, that guy was looking like an all-star before Ray Gallen came back on the supersonics. That's exactly what Kendrick Nunn looks like. I'm, mm. I'm, uh, That's I an hope, interesting comparison. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, I hope Kendrick Nunn has a better career than Flip Murray. Uh, but I, I just want to put it out there that like just looks exactly like him where he's putting up big numbers. He knows what he's doing on the floor. And again, everyone knows what they're, who they are. Like Kelly Olenek comes in, rebounds, shoots threes. Myers Leonard rebounds shoots threes, you know, Tyler Hero, 
shoots threes. Uh, you know, uh, Duncan Robinson. That's another guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh these gosh. people that I've never heard about, they're just coming out. I'm all like, what? Yeah. What is happening to this team? <laughs> and they're always that, – that's the thing. Even when they lose, they're super competitive. Like, I don't think I've seen a heat loss where uh, it's more than like it, – it's always less than 10 points. And that tells you that this team is competitive. Like, they, don't, they only have one superstar – and I think he's a borderline superstar, even though I love Jimmy Butler. Like, I just don't think that he can win it alone. But they have a borderline superstar and a lot of great role players. But those are role players that know exactly what their role is. And they're dogs. Like, that's the thing about them. They're, they're, they'll get into you. Like, even Duncan Robinson, who's not athletic at all. He's literally the, he, he's the second coming of Kyle Korver. And, but I will say this. He, when I watched him, he was getting into people on defense. He still got beat, but at least he's still getting in on people. Like he's trying. Hero's like talking trash. Like I know, like two, three weeks ago, him and another guy were just jawing at each other, and Hero is just like, you know, let let the scoreboard talk. You know, yeah. that that's the kind of guys that you want on your team. Yeah. All right, man. I'm just looking at the record though. But so the things that concern me now, looking at the record, is their losses are Minnesota, Denver. Lakers, Lakers, Philadelphia, Houston, Boston. And they almost lost to the Dallas Mavericks without Luka. Without Luka. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, they, they've had some big signature wins here and there. But, yeah, I mean, their, their schedule, the ones they've win, won against are, are pretty weak teams. So that's kind of, that's kind of a red flag to me, uh, despite how, much, how well they're doing. No, I'm with, I'm um, yeah. with you. I, I think they're eventually going to lose a little bit of steam because, like, let's be honest, like, you know, I, I think they're going to be, you know, firmly in the playoffs. I think they're going to be a tough out. Uh, but at the same time, um, Jimmy Butler needs help. Like, I, I know that they were talking about trying to get Bradley Beal, like seeing mm-hmm. if they could patch, uh, package, like, Justice Winslow and a, and a couple of picks to uh, get Bradley Beal but like even that I don't know if that's going to be enough yep yeah I I agree with you I mean this is a this is a minimum two superstar league now yeah and and uh yeah I mean Bam Adebayo looks like an all-star but I don't think he's a superstar he's not the one that they need I mean all respects to Bam he's he's really picked it up this season and I think he's an incredible player but you're right they they need a second and I think Bradley Bill would have been a nice fit. We'll see. We'll see what happens during the trade deadlines. I'm for sure with them doing as well as they are. I can mm-hmm. see Pat Riley trying to make a move. Oh, for sure. And they're great at wheeling and dealing. Um, oh, but yeah. yeah, we've seen that throughout the years for sure. Oh, for <laughs> sure. They they figure it out. They they've very rarely have had like a down season um, in the last like 15 years. Dude, Pat so. Riley's got dirt on every single GM in the league. Oh, he must. He has to. Right. He has like, to. <laughs> Was, uh, we're putting it out right now does. pat pat riley is a don and he knows exactly <laughs> how to get you know he he knows how to squeeze uh well i was, was going to use a fruit but i forgot what fruit it is so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no for real i'm with you but going on actually there's another team that i kind of have on my radar as like a surprise only because i was really thinking that they would go backwards without uh victor oladipo Indiana mm. Pacers, they've been really competitive. Yep, yep. 
I think that the Pacers are an example, another example of what you said. They're just a well-architected team. They all know what they're supposed to do. And because they're able to do that, they're able to win the games that they should. I don't know mm-hmm. if they can pick up the big games against the, the you know, the better top player, uh, top teams in the league, but they're going to pick up the games that they need to pick up. And so their record's going to reflect that. And uh, I mean, with Oladipo, coming back soon hopefully i, I kind of heard that he's playing around in the g league trying to get rehabbed and everything mm-hmm. i hope that they can take it to the next level because that is a that is one of those teams that is that is just so intriguing they're not yeah. they're not like the superstar team but they're intriguing and they, i'm just gonna make a really quick point because there's a lot of teams like this now and i kind of think that's why the ratings for the nba yeah. is down there's a lot of intriguing teams but you don't see these I, I don't I don't know who to watch anymore to be like, hey, I want to watch someone score 60 points. Yeah. Except for like the Houston Rockets with Harden, <laughs> but he's just shooting free throws all day. Yeah. And so I think we're missing a lot of that that those storylines these days. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because these are these are beautiful basketball teams. And I, mm-hmm. I as a basketball fan, I really appreciate that. Um and the Indiana Pacers are emblematic of that style. Yeah. Like the the thing is, a lot of their their big acquisitions last year. So Malcolm Brogdon, uh, T.J. Warren, those guys have really stepped up their games. Like Brogdon is averaging nineteen point five points. He's doing seven point seven assists. Uh, T.J. Warren has eighteen point two points. Um, Sir Bonus has eighteen points. Like these guys are really picking it up and uh, doing great damage. And they're, I mean. All of them would tell you they're not superstars, but I think the one thing that they they have is that they're gritty. They're going to get into you, and when they get Victor Oladipo, he can score like 24, 25 points. That's actually going to make some of these players better because, like Brogdon, especially, like his turnovers are pretty high. They're at like almost three turnovers. I think it's going to get a lot better because he's going to have someone that's going to take a little bit of the load off, you know, share the ball with him. And then I feel like Serbonis is going to uh, also do better because he's going to have more open lanes. People are going to concentrate on Victor Oladipo. So you're going to see him like crash the boards and like get in there. Like, I I think this team is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I'm excited to see them when Oladipo gets back. Uh, It's fun just watching them just from a technical perspective. but I get why it's not really getting the draw of yeah. the previous drama of the NBA in the past couple of years. Oh yeah. I mean, that's actually a good point where we, we can actually talk about the ratings. Like I think that's been really surprising. I know like a lot of people have been worried about the fact that TNT and ESPN are seeing like, I think it was 20% at one point. 20%, th- yeah. Something like that. 20% drop. And I, I think it's exactly what you said. It is more or less, there's not, as many narratives like there that's the case it's not like oh you know will will the golden state warriors lose a game yeah or will will anyone you know topple the mountain or uh you know where is Kyrie going or where is this person going or where you know I feel like a lot of that's been quelled this year yeah yeah and yeah I I hope that casual fans come back though yeah because it's uh, to me, it's been an exciting season that yeah. for the first time we've seen a lot of that parody. And 
it, it's actually surprising to me that that parody has not drawn in more viewers. Mm-hmm. But the but like we we're just talking about, the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. There's not when you have parody, you don't have villains, you don't have heroes, mm-hmm. you don't have antiheroes, you don't have the, a narrative. It's just like, hey man, anybody could win it, and you're like, oh okay, well I'm just not going to watch any of it then. <laughs> yeah, because call me when the playoffs come. Exactly. I was going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, you don't know who to turn tune into. Like, yep. do, do you watch Milwaukee who just, you know, did like what a 15 or 16 game winning streak and like feel like you you're watching greatness or do you watch the Lakers or do you watch the Mavericks? Like it, because there's so it, it's like, it's kind of like Netflix, right? There's just so much choice that you don't know how to make a choice and like yeah. with, you just with watch the, NBA, the office over and over again exactly <laughs> it's like oh let me just watch my team and then it just doesn't translate to ratings but i'm with you this season's been exciting i think there are narratives but people are just not interested in them like i'm i'm excited that like there's these teams that are like that are cohesive teams that they don't need like three or four superstars they need one or two and then great role players and, and great coaching is also being displayed. Like I yep. think Brad Stevens is like, people are seeing how good he can be when he has players that want to play in a system. Like the, we're seeing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown taking the next step because they're not only, you know, getting another year under the belt, but I think they're buying into the system now that they have a point guard that wants to get them the ball and doesn't feel like he has to dribble the air out of the ball just to make a shot. Like, I I think you're going to see more and more good coaching or in in other words, and on the other side, see the coaches that are falling to the wayside because they are relying too much on star play to try to carry them instead of making a team like a cohesive team. Yeah. Actually, speaking of narratives, uh, you want to take a quick break and then we'll come back to the narrative of uh, Russell Westbrook versus Pat Beverly because I think that's been the most exciting drama for me. Absolutely, <laughs> man. I can't wait. All right. Take y'all in. Welcome back, everybody. We're excited to get into our next segment. Uh, this is something that both Eric and I have been talking about for weeks now, and we can't wait to bring you all the metrics that we're going to be uh, uh, displaying to you guys. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Eric. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Pat Beverly today. Defensive metrics are super hard to come by, as Josh and I have been doing a lot of research about it. And it kind of makes sense because defensive metrics are more of an eye test. And so there was a really interesting quote from Russell Westbrook about Pat Beverly that kind of blew the eye test and the admets metrics out of the water because it's coming from a player that played, has played against Pat Beverly a lot, right? And so this is the exact quote. Westbrook said, Pat Bev trick y'all, man, like he playing defense. He don't guard nobody, man. He just running around doing nothing. And I think, like, as a defensive player, I find that really, really interesting. Like, uh, as, a, as a player who really likes defense, sorry, not as a defensive player. But, like, as a player that loves watching defense, I find that really interesting. Because part of it is that, from the eye test, defense is just about energy and running around. 
But yeah. you, then you got Russell Westbrook on the other side basically saying, no, this is stupid. He's not actually doing anything to slow us down. So I think we're going to dig a little bit into the advanced metrics, see what we can pick apart, and see if we can justify Patrick Beverly as a good slash elite defender. And then we'll talk a little bit about what the eye test captures that advanced metrics doesn't really capture. Yeah, I mean, uh, so going into it, like one thing that we looked at is how do we best measure Patrick Beverly? Because it's so difficult because he's not a guy that gets a ton of points. He's not a guy that gets a ton of assists. He's just there, you know, like he's, he averages decent amount of points. Uh, but the one thing we wanted to look at uh, first is actually his on-off metrics. So, you know, for those of you that don't know, so uh, the NBA and other uh, um, other report uh, reporting institutions, they essentially look at how a player does when he's on the court and how the team does when he's off the court. And so one of the things that's actually kind of eye-popping and that really helps Patrick Beverly in this argument is that when you look at the opponent's offensive rating, it goes from 99.2, I believe, to 115.4. Yeah. So that's a 16.2 higher offensive rating when Patrick Beverly's off the floor. So that kind of shows you from an advanced metric standpoint that even if he's just running around, he has some sort of, of uh, effect on the opponent's offensive rating, how they're, they're scoring, how they're getting to the bucket, how they're overall. And I, I think that's something to be said. So, you know, again, we were digging through a lot of, of, of uh, stats, of different things, trying to figure out how best to look at it. And one of the ways that we also looked at is how the top point guards really fared against Patrick Beverly. And so uh, just to prep, you know, just to, to kind of uh, you know, set the stage of this, what we looked at was how many games that these, uh, these uh, players have played against Patrick Beverly in uh, the last five years. We have looked at uh, games that Patrick Beverly had to be in, and then we averaged out uh, their points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game uh, to figure out how, uh, how good they were uh, comparatively to the rest of the field. So uh, just kind of going into it, like I- I'm just going to go ahead and start off with Russell Westbrook because obviously <laughs> that's where the beef is, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Russell Westbrook actually averages 27.2 points, 8.92 rebounds, and 10.2 assists. So to give you kind of context, Westbrook scores around 24 to 25 points usually over the last five years. So his points per game actually went up. But in the same time, his five-year rebound average actually goes down by about a rebound. Uh, against Patrick Beverly, but his assist remained about the same at 10, 10 assists. Mm-hmm. Going on to the other point guards, just I'm going to kind of uh, go through them kind of quickly, but to give you kind of the, the uh, high level, Curry scores 31 points, which is higher than his average uh, for the last five years, um, has 5.76 rebounds, which is right around where he's at, and 6.28 assists which is, again, right around where he's been after the last five years. Kyrie uh, is at 27.5 uh, 
which is a little bit more, but not by much. I believe it's only about one point higher than his average for the last five years. His rebounds are down at 2.7. He usually does about 3.5. And his assists are uh, a little bit higher at 5.5. He's usually about 5, 5.2. Dame. Looking at Damian Lillard, though, this was actually really intriguing. Over the last five years, Damian Lillard has been scoring only 23.98 points, which is a full point less than his average of the last two years. His rebounds went down from 4.5 to about 4.06. And then his uh, assists is 6.46, which is close to his average, I think a little bit higher. But that's really incredible to see how the four point guards, the top point guards, really fare against him. Yeah, man. I mean, just looking at these metrics, just as you're reading them out, the one thing that popped out to me was, for some reason, Pat Beverly is stopping these guards from get, grabbing more rebounds. Yeah. Which, <laughs> hey, that, that's a thing, right? Like, yeah, if he's keeping that... them basically at their average and reducing one stat, which is a rebounding stat, Maybe maybe that's enough. And you know what? Rebounds are about hustle. Rebounds yeah. are about energy. And Pat Beverly's got that energy. He's blocking people out, boxing people out. Maybe that's what he brings to the board defensively is just literally preventing the top point guards from grabbing one rebound a game, which I think is good. But it's yeah. not eye-popping, right? It's not like this is a guy in elite defensive territory just based off the stats that we've seen so far. Oh, yeah. Like to also give a little bit more um, uh, on the advanced metrics. So the true shooting percentage for Curry, Westbrook, uh, Kyrie, and Dame. So just going through the list. So a few of them are actually a lot lower. So Westbrook is at 55% for his true shooting percentage, which is pretty low. And his true uh, and Dame's true shooting percentage is 57%, which is a lot lower than he does. Um, Curry's is astronomical, but it is Steph Curry. It's 72%, which is higher than his average. And then Kyrie is at 63%, but he usually is about a 64% at true shooting percentage. Yeah. And, and so maybe, maybe these point guards, and this is something we'll talk about in the soft metrics, the eye test. I think there is a component that when Patrick Beverly baits people into playing well against him, they start shooting in volume. They want to get yeah. him. They want to get Pat Beverly because <laughs> he's a pest. He's annoying. And you want to score on the pest. But maybe that's not always the best thing to do. And that, that happened, I think, in the 2018 playoffs with Kevin Durant. I think that's part of, that was part of the strategy. That's how the Clippers did stretch the, the Warriors to six games despite Kevin Durant still obliterating the Clippers. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, both you and I watched uh, that series separately, but like, Beverly got into Durant. He's six one, but he is still he's a dog out there. Like, getting into Durant's jersey, making it uncomfortable. Like, you know, I'll let you take this away because I know that you did the research on it. But like, man, that was a sight to be seen. Like how much he was just going after Durant. Yeah. So, so that's the thing about Pat Beverly. We always knew he was an annoying defender but I think his signature like the moment the moment everybody started talking about Pat Beverly was when they played against the Warriors and Mm -hmm. a six foot one guard played against one of the best scorers in the NBA at six nine 
I don't know what his measurement without shoes now is, but I think it's still around six nine. This dude's this dude's tall and long, right? Yeah. Eight inches on top of Pat Beverly. God knows how much of his wingspan is above Pat Beverly. I'm pretty sure one of his arms is like half of Pat Beverly. Yeah. So uh Beverly guarded Durant 30% of the time in the playoffs. And if you look at the metrics of when he played in the playoffs against Durant, and then and then you compare it to, to the other playoff series against Houston where P.J. Tucker guarded Pat Beverly, I mean, uh, Kevin Durant, you'll see that P.J. Tucker fared a lot better versus Durant than Pat Beverly. And so all the metrics, every like he guarded 30% of the time. P.J. Tucker also got around. Actually, P.J. Tucker guarded him 30% of the time. Uh, so 30%, like, sorry, 30 minutes of the, of the time that they played Mm -hmm. and, and Durant scored less, had less rebounds, less assists, everything versus the 20 minutes that Pat Beverly had on ball against Kevin Durant. The Mm -hmm. only metric, and this is interesting. The only metric that Pat Beverly had more of against Durant was turnovers. He got eight turnovers when playing against Durant. And I think that goes a lot into it of, Hey, like it was when, when Durant plays against Pat Beverly, Pat Beverly baits him into these bad positions and these bad shots and these things that like, he's so focused in on Pat Beverly that someone will come on on his weak side and strip the ball from him. And so I, I think that's actually super, super interesting from the Pat Beverly perspective, the eight turnovers. I know turnovers aren't always the best metric about defense, but I think those eight turnovers matter a lot in a really, really scrappy series mm-hmm. against the Golden State Warriors. So the, the two things I've gotten away from this, looking at the advanced metrics for Pat Beverly and P.J. Tucker, number one, P.J. Tucker is a way underrated defender. Yeah. And that guy played great against Kevin Durant on a team that basically doesn't play defense at all, that pushes the pace really, really fast, right? Yeah. And so, And the second thing is when you compare Pat Beverly to – all the other players that tried to guard Durant in that series, Pat Beverly did the best. Mm-hmm. Like definitively, he was the best. So you could put Danilo Gallinari, who's 6'11", nothing. I think they had Jamichael Green, I think was the yeah. second defender on, on Durant. Didn't do that well. So, okay, you look at the metrics. Pat Beverly didn't do great against Durant. Durant still averaged, what, 30 and like 8 or 9 that series? Yeah. And... And you look at it and you're like, oh, Russell Westbrook's right. Dude's just running around. He's not doing anything. <laughs> but he was the best defender on that team for Kevin Durant. And as a 6'1 guard, that is incredible. Yeah. And I think, I, think, I think the advanced metrics, again, because advanced metrics are just so hard, even, even with all the like, stat camera tracking that we have, everything that we have about defensive metrics to this day still cannot really effectively measure the effective defense which I think we'll talk a little bit about the soft metrics in just a second. Yeah. I mean, as you said, Pat Beverly, like he might've been six one and Durant still got his, but like, that's the thing. Like a six one guard was the best option <laughs> to put on a six, nine, six, 10 Durant. And, and that kind of speaks to what Pat Beverly does is that I don't, I, I think there's a lot of truth to what Westbrook's saying but there is a sense that that is Patrick Beverly's version of defense. And it can be so annoying and dogging that you're going to have teams 
that are not going to do well against it. And as you said, getting into the soft metrics, like, you know, like one thing that we talk about, you know, you and I have played in the rec center. We've like gone out and like, sometimes we're not the first third or first, second or third option on, on offense. They're like, go ahead and, and exert all your energy on defense. And like, we might be undersized or not big enough, but it's all about the mindset. It's all about putting your energy. Cause like, if you're willing to go after a loose ball, if you're willing to box out the bigger player, that's defense. That's going to encourage your team to get more uh, opportunities on offense. And that's the thing about Pat Beverly. He has that mindset. He has that like pit bull mentality that he's like, if you are, you like, I would rather die than let you get the ball. That is his yeah. mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like, let's just dive right into it. Like that mentality, that energy. I mean, like maybe both people are right. Maybe what Russell Westbrook really meant was he's tricking y'all on defense as in he doesn't look great, that great from the, from the advanced metrics on defense, but man, this guy's got high energy. That's my interpretation now of Russell Westbrook, right? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, obviously Russell Westbrook was trying to insult him, but maybe he really got to the core of the problem. It's that defense is about the motor, this guy that will just run around and bug the crap out of you for for the 48 minutes uh, while you're playing the game. And that's enough just to piss you the heck off and then force you into bad shots, make you do weird things. You know how demoralizing it is? And this has happened to me, right? Like, I'm a taller dude. I'm not, like, super tall, but I'm taller than most of the players I play against. Yeah. And a person has more energy and grab a rebound over you or under you or around you as a big person. Like, that's demoralizing, man. You want to smack that dude in the face. You want to do something about it. And that baits you into bad fouls, bad calls. Kevin Durant got ejected the first game of the NBA playoffs because of Pat Beverly. Yeah. Like, it, it was a blowout. But, hey, maybe that technical is going to matter down the line. Maybe that technical is going to get in his head. Maybe, I, I mean, there's not, <laughs> first round, there's not enough technicals to go around that he'll be ejected for a game later down the line. But you saw that affect Draymond Green in the 2016 playoffs. So, yeah, I think that energy, that mentality, that, that what you were saying about, I would rather die than let you get the ball, that is Pat Beverly's MO. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say now, like, I, won't, I know we wanted to save the conclusions for kind of the end of this segment, but... I think Pat Beverly is an elite level defender because of all the small things that he does. Mm -hmm. So I, I will, I will counter and say, I think he's a very, very good defensive player, but I don't believe he's elite. And the reason why I don't think he's elite is because, and this is something that I think we can get into the soft metrics. He's actually out of place a lot of times on defense. Like he's a great on ball like someone that's going to dog you everything, but he is one of the worst wing off ball defenders mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he is out of position all the time. And I say this as a guy that I could criticize from the bench because that, that's where I'm usually at. So uh, I, I'm usually not that guy in, in, in the game uh, when we played intramurals, but I, I can tell you like just from the eye test, when a person is out of position, it can mess up a defense so bad. And it's like, if you help too much, if you don't help enough, if you're going for swipes, like 
that's the thing about energy that can backfire on you. And that's the yeah. reason why I'll say, I think Pat Beverly is like almost there. And I think he's a great defensive player because exactly as I, these were the guys that we hated playing against at the rec back in when we were in middle school, right? The guys that would just annoy the heck out of you. You felt like they didn't know how to play basketball, but they would just get up into your shirt and like really make it uncomfortable where you're like, I hate playing against this guy, but I also want to like score on him. So he shuts up. That's exactly what Pat Beverly does to like star players. He makes them go into these like moods of like, give me the ball. I'm going to shoot this 30 footer or this like 22 footer off balance, make Pat Beverly look bad. But in the end of the, at the end of the game, you're like, oh shoot, I had a 30% field goal percentage and then they still won. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Patrick Beverly has to be in the right system. And, and, and because he's a ball hawk, like he needs to be in the right system. He needs people to help rotate off of him. And yeah, you're right. He is out of position a lot. There's, uh, there's a whole bunch of times where he'll go for the ball and someone will be just wide open for three. Um, but I, I think that the value of knocking off a, a, such an elite, like, like you remember back in the day when, whenever Bruce Bowen or um, Shane Batty would, could stop Kobe, that was yeah. their MO. That was their whole thing. Like, I, I can stop Kobe. I'm the Kobe stopper. Kobe mm-hmm. still scored like 40, 30, 40 points <laughs> against these guys. But he did it at a not, you know, great clip or he just, they forced bad turnovers on him. And I think Pat Beverly is kind of the, the revival of, Maybe the not same Shane Battier because Shane Battier is a little bit more cerebral, and I think Bat Beverly works more on instinct. But kind of like a like a like a Bruce Bowen ish, and I, yeah. and I, I, I you know Bruce Bowen obviously was also a very cerebral defender. Um, it, it's hard to make that comparison. It's like it's like in the in the spectrum of cerebral to just pure energy defense, Patrick Beverly probably falls on the pure energy defense. And yeah. you're right. There's a lot of weaknesses to that that hurt him. So one person that actually talked about him recently where I can see the comparisons, but I, I definitely think this player is a, uh, at least a little bit more, I think elite comparatively to Pat Beverly that I think is, again, it sounds like I'm dogging him, but he's still very, very good. Tony Allen. So mm. Tony Allen was that higher energy defender, but he was a cerebral player. And the thing that I loved about him was his position. Like he, he was great on defensive positioning. That's what I think makes him elite versus Patrick Beverly, who, again, I think is very, very good. Um, and But that, that same way that he, Pat Beverly is, is exactly how Tony Allen was on the Boston Celtics before he was the uh, grid and grind uh, Memphis Grizzlies shooting guard, you know, um, is that he played high energy uh, defense, making other people uncomfortable. Like, Kobe Bryant himself said the hardest player he ever had to play against was Tony Allen, mm-hmm, mostly mm-hmm. because he combined the cerebral and the energy. Because yeah. Shane Battier and Bruce Bowen and those players, they wouldn't be running around as much as Pat Beverly does. But Tony Allen with the energy plus the cerebral play is what exactly Kobe hated playing against. But you're absolutely right. Like I would take a Kobe scoring 45 points, but it took him like, 39 shots to do it like i would take that because that's when he was losing the most right yeah Uh, Yeah. and that's the same thing like when you have these great players just chucking up shots like that's the thing like everyone dogs westbrook because he he like chucks up shots and like he's chucking up shots against patrick beverly and um 
you know, one thing that, uh, I mean, we can look at later is the fact is like some of these players or some of these teams like don't have great records against, uh, Patrick Beverly's teams. You know, I think, I think only Steph Curry actually has beat Patrick Beverly more than, uh, Patrick Beverly had, or like the, the win loss is like much greater. I think Westbrook's up a little Kyrie's down and Dame is like even, Mm-hmm. but like that's the thing is like for a defensive player it doesn't matter how many points the the other player scored to them did we win that's the question that they're asking themselves at the end of the game did we win and Patrick Beverly's teams can say that a lot of times yeah man you just gave me a really great idea maybe defensive is about cerebralness studying right uh energy and mm-hmm. the third piece that when you're talking about Tony Allen that I think Tony Allen was missing was offense. He didn't have a yeah. three ball because playing high level defense does take a lot of energy out of you. There's only so much time you can spend on each piece, right? So maybe mm-hmm. the, the, the wing three indeed players are the most coveted right now, the, like the yeah. perfect role player. Maybe those are the three spectrums of defense. albeit very, very hard to measure except for yeah. three point percentage. But cerebralness and energy are, are these two missing pieces to all of our defensive metrics that maybe in the future we can see how much, how much Pat Beverly is studying players and yeah. <laughs> reading footnotes about each player. And we can get a better sense of this is, this is what makes a, a defender elite. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, just talking about like some of the stuff that we've talked about of like how Pat Better Beverly just has energy. He's like poking and prodding people. He's like goading all these players to shoot over him. You know, at six yeah. one. Yeah. But I will tell you, my best defensive trick is like getting really low, making it seem like you can shoot over me. But the moment that you try to shoot over me, I'm trying to make you uncomfortable that you don't have your feet set. That's yeah. one thing that Pat Beverly does better than anybody. <laughs> I'll give him that. Yeah is that yeah. when you go up for the shot, you don't feel like you have your feet set. And any shooter will tell you, like, if they don't square up first or at least get a good angle, they're not going to make it. And he yeah. makes it impossible for you to get a good angle. Like, he will goad you into taking that shot, but the moment that you try to turn your hips, he is, like, right in him. And he's yeah. making sure that you have the hardest time getting your arms up. And yeah. so – and that that's – saying something about him like he's smart in that way he's very cerebral in that way yeah super defense is all about subtleness you can you can be a guy who runs around the court and have high energy we can get a marathon runner but that's not a good defender it is the small things that pat beverly does that make him uh in my mind an elite defender but at least in your mind a good defender we can at least come to a consensus that yeah beverly's a decent defender (laughs) i i I think westbrook Obviously, they have a history. Like yeah. for those of you that don't know, uh, Pat Beverly put his foot underneath Westbrook, and Westbrook tore his ACL. So obviously, you're not gonna like that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, man. Uh, you want to take a quick break? We'll finish up. We'll talk about our MVP picks. Uh, my MVP pick is obviously Pat Beverly. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll talk about some MVP picks for the for the quarter season. Sounds good. All right, see you guys in a little bit. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we're excited to get into our MVP picks. We 
think that we have a better sense at the quarter, uh, the quarter <laughs> mark than we did in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything could change. But uh, just quickly going through my top three picks for the MVP this year is Giannis, who's having quietly the a better season than last year. Harden, who is putting up incredible numbers, and then obviously Luca. Um, you know, we'll we'll kind of debate a bit about it later. But Eric, what are your picks? Yeah, so I got Giannis with you on number one. I mean, the, the, the that team is just quietly playing so well. Giannis is an incredible player. It's really hard to knock him off. He's he was the MVP last year. I you can't take it away from him unless someone takes it away from him. Uh, number two for me is Luca. I mean, I'm a Lucas stan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this guy is playing out of his mind. And if you watch him, he's bringing the, 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 the Mavs straight into playoff contention. They're solely, yeah, on his back, right? So, like, you can't, you can't not give that guy some due. I know he's young. I know there's a lot of controversy around him. I know there's a lot of good players in the league. But Luca's number two for me. Uh, number three is LeBron. So that's the difference we have. Uh, mm-hmm. I had Harden at the beginning of the season as MVP just because of the sheer scoring. And and he's done that. <laughs> so I can't take that away from him. But I just don't think he's as effective. Like, I, he's on my four or five, for sure. Probably my four. But he, he, he just doesn't have – he doesn't have that spark that all these other players bring to their team. And LeBron, like we said, is quietly – again, these are like, like Giannis and LeBron are these quiet – like we know these guys are good and we know that they're always in the MVP race, but they're doing it quietly. They're just sneaking up on you and being like, Hey, I'm dropping 20, 25, 25 and 14 and like four assists. Eh, just, just cause I'm Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's the thing. Like the reason why I have Giannis is like, I'm bringing up the stats right now, but like uh, he is, I mean, averaging 31 points at 56.3 uh percent Wait, did you say thir- 31 points 31 points oh my that's god what that's what he's averaging what, i thought he was at like 27 <laughs> okay yeah right. no that's the thing that's <laughs> how quiet he's been 31 <laughs> points on 56 percent from the field and you know this isn't great but this is pretty good for him at 32 percent nearly 33 percent from three yep and he's doing with 12.8 rebounds yeah, that's what I wanted to say too. Like his, like his, I was just looking at this too. His effective field goal is the highest that it's ever been. Yeah, thanks to his three ball, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, for sure. So I, I know that you have Harden at your four now, and and that was your preseason pick. Yeah. Uh, again, you're doing way better than my Nikola Jokic. So <laughs> hey, I they're still winning any... though. They're still winning. Yeah, they're still winning. Um, he's just not looking like I thought he would. But that being said. The reason why I picked James Harden and I, I have him over LeBron and Luca um, is just that 39 points, man. This is the highest point percentage, or sorry, points per game since Wilt. Yeah. And granted, his field goal percentage is terrible. He's taken way too many shots and his turnovers are terrible. Uh, and, and another thing that's hurting him is that. They're they're only like so so on standings. Like, I they are currently fifth, which is good, but not great. And and they're seventeen and nine, and yeah. they've never. I, I don't think they've had a signature win yet. That's that's another thing. Yeah, 
the reason, okay, yes, historic clip in scoring. And so that's why he can't be off the list. If anybody has a top five list that without Harden on it, your list is they're, wrong. <laughs> they're, they're, they're hating. Like, and yeah, I say that, <laughs> like, I can't say that with a straight face, but it's true. They're, they, they are hating on James Harden. Yeah. But I, I think the difference between Giannis and LeBron and Luca is that they make their teammates better. And yeah. I'm not convinced that James Harden does that. And I think he's carrying his team on his back. And if he can do it and he can get to the, the mountaintop, that's fine. That's great. That's, I, I, will, I, will, I will swallow my words and say, Harden, you've done what I don't think anybody has ever been able to do. And, yeah. and when, I, when I'm thinking about individual contributors that only, uh, are, like, only are kind of for their own stats, I'm thinking about a lot of great players too, like Carmelo Anthony yeah. and Allen Iverson, both players who I thoroughly enjoy watching, but they just haven't been able to do it being individual scorers. Yeah. And quickly before uh, we end, I, I want to just preference the reason why I don't have LeBron at, in my top three is not because he's not incredible and it's not even because, uh, I, I mean, obviously the record, I just feel like he's taken a backseat to AD. So it's hard mm. for me to give him the nod over guys like Luca that is like the guy at the steering wheel. Giannis is at the steering wheel. Um, and, and that's why I feel like they're MVPs, but I mean, 26, seven and, and almost 11 assists. It's, it's crazy. I, I don't even know how to like put that into perspective when he's like 35 now, <laughs> you know, crazy, crazy. It's insane. But I know that we've come to the end. And so Eric, sign us out. Yeah. So we've come to the end of our show. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate your passion. Uh, if you haven't already followed us, uh, check us out on Twitter, Instagram. We're at the BR underscore podcast, and we'll post some news, updates about our podcast, everything. Please like, share, subscribe to our podcast wherever you do listen to it. And until next time, Josh and Eric signing off. Peace.